0: This podcast is brought to you by The Learning Connection, School of Creativity and Art. TLC.ac.nz Thanks, everybody, for making the effort, for coming along. Um, we've had a number of guest speakers come to TLC, and, in fact, the person that got the whole guest speaker circuit happening about 14 speakers ago was Sandy Rogers. But she, she came along when we hadn't recorded it and didn't make a podcast of it. It's the only one that we haven't recorded, So it would be great to. We thought we'd have her back because she's going to be playing a bit more part of, uh, be a bit more part of TLC in coming times. So it'd be nice to reintroduce Sandy to the peeps of TLC. So welcome everybody, and welcome Sandy. Thank you. So what have you been up to?
1: Whew! What have I been up to? I've been up to so much lately. I've been really, really busy. I've been um, painting an egg, that took up a couple of months. Um, and creating a new body of work for my solo exhibition coming up in August. Um, so that'll keep me extremely busy. We're on six hour sleeps at the moment and will be till August.
0: And I've seen a few things on Facebook recently of you in creation of this, this egg. Yeah. So how did that come about, Sandy?
1: Um, so basically I just uh, was contacted by Elena at Starship Hospital. Um, and she just asked me, I'm not sure how she found my work or how she found me even, um, but she just asked me to, if I'd be interested in uh, putting through a design uh, proposal for the, for the eggs. Um, so obviously I was like, wow that sounds amazing, sure. So I did my proposal and got it sent back and they said they'd love me to paint an egg. So I did. It was quite tricky business painting an egg though. Yeah, for somebody who's only ever planted flat things. Um, suddenly, I had a very sore neck from a lot of strange positions trying to get. They're about this big. Yeah, so they're all around Wellington at the moment. Well, they're Wellington, Christchurch in Auckland. They're all over the country. There's 100 eggs in total. So designers, artists, a couple of architects. Yeah, all sorts of people, but yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting challenge, but I'm so glad I did it.
0: And Sandy, you said you didn't have to go out and seek it, someone came to you.
1: Yeah, they found me.
0: Uh, yeah. That's interesting, because we've had another guest speaker, another friend of yours too, Dan Mills, talking about how when he first started painting, he had to go out there and he had to be do the one, who, who was the one doing all the proposals, chasing mm. everybody, can I, do some, can I do a mural for you? And, and he said over the course of 10, 15 years, everyone comes to him. Yeah. So have you had that sort of similar transition happening with I've your I've had a changing?
1: lot of that lately, almost a little bit too much, no pressure or anything, <laughs> but yeah, I've sort of, um, yeah, I definitely remember it was more of a, a hunter, hunter finder situation, um, but now definitely, I mean, just lately over the past couple of weeks, I've been having calls from a couple of galleries and museums, hoping to get some work but their timing is a little bit off because i do have a solo show coming up so i can't produce any new work for anybody else so then it comes down to as well as sort of working out what i have got out there at the moment and seeing what can be pulled back or moved around and sort of jiggled to try and i mean because it's i mean yeah you've got to make the most of these awesome opportunities when they come up you certainly don't want to have to say no um but of course there is only so many hours in the day and Yeah, it's already pretty tight at the moment. So, yeah, I'm doing the best I can with what I've got. But yeah,
0: no, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Let's go back a bit in time. What are some of your earliest childhood memories of you and the creation of art? When did when did art and Sandy Rogers really start? Wow,
1: I don't ever remember not having art as a big part of my life at all. Like. You know, obviously all children love to create art. You know, that's what we all start doing. That's our first. Um, And so I have vivid memories of being very young and um, loving. I think the big one was paint by numbers. Because obviously as a child, you'd love to be able to paint realistically. You want to paint these things, but you just don't have the skill set to be able to do it. But paint by numbers gave you that ability to actually create a piece of artwork that you were proud of. So I think for me that was that was super awesome but I loved any kind of sort of cutting out pieces of paper and I mean making paper flowers you name it um, I was creating it and all through school that was my big thing you know I was doing sort of realism when I was it's was probably about 10 11 um sort of with pencils pencils and things Um, But then I got to high school and they sort of tried to beat it out of me. All I really wanted to do was realism, you know, that's the ultimate goal I think as a child is to be able to reproduce something perfectly and beautifully. And of course you get to school art and they're like, no, 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 you've got to do it abstract, you've got to use the wrong colours, you've got to do this and this and this. Um, And so it was a bit of a fight for me. School art was always a bit of a fight to me, to be honest. Um, seventh form, uh, I burst into tears on my very first day. I went in, and my tutor was like, or the teacher at high school, she's like, I've decided that none of you can draw, so we're going to do still life for the first half of the year. So I've already done five years of still life at this point. I hate still life, <laughs> um, and she does that, and I'm just, I just break down. It's like this is I'm um, seventh form. This is my opportunity to finally create my own artwork and express myself and work on who and what I am as an artist and they're like, back to drawing bowls of fruit. It's like, no! <laughs> Did you throw that bowl of fruit? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should have. No, I think I just stormed out of the class. Did you complete that year? I completed that year, I failed. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I can understandably, because obviously when they're trying to mark work, there's a certain system in place. And um, I, to this day, don't fit into that system in in my processes. I don't spend hours doing working drawings and sketches for my artwork. Basically, I do a um, stick figure drawing, believe it or not. Um, And then, you know, I just sort of, it's just, the basics, just enough to know what the next step is and to be able to start working through the process in my head, um, whereas, yeah, obviously at school they wanted a lot of working drawings um, and I found that was just wasting my time when I could be making actual paintings. It's interesting
0: because <laughs> everyone's got their own creative process. Exactly. Not any yeah. one-size-fits-all. No. It's great that you're aware of your own processes and From what you wanted. From a young age. <laughs> <laughs> what about parental support, sibling support, oh. family whānau support. Yeah. Tell us about how that was influential.
1: Ah, oh, my family are so supportive. Um, particularly, I think my mother was always really good. <coughs> excuse me, through school and um, supporting me in whatever I wanted to do and whatever I enjoyed doing. Um, because I sort of the things I really wanted to do was to become a teacher and to be an artist so mum supported me into teachers college because that was the most practical direction to go and when i dropped out she supported me then as well she was you know she was like well as long as you're happy and as long as you're doing whatever you want to do um so she was mum was always amazing (coughs) i think dad's support in the art certainly becoming a business as an artist actually making a living out of it came a bit later on in life he's sort of more the You need to have a real job, a real income, so on and so forth. Um, But, of course, now he's a very proud father, so (laughs) we got there. It's all good. But, yeah, the whole family, the whole family have always supported me. The little siblings and and my niece at the moment, I want to be an artist like you when I grow up. (laughs) (laughs) Makes it all worth it.
0: Excellent. So you finished high school art, maybe a little bit... uh, about how you feel yeah, about the art world or your was. own art process, <laughs> what then?
1: Um, so then it actually it took, I mean as I say I sort of popped off to, uh, to teachers college but I was only there for just over a term and then I just started slowly but surely creating art again. It did take a while, I was a bit downtrodden from high school art um, but then I did start creating art And then we, um, and then we opened an art gallery in Eastbourne. So I think I must have been about 20, must have been around about 20. There was me and a couple of other girls, we opened an art gallery and I was creating art at that point and we were also teaching uh, workshops for children holiday programmes, after school programmes, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so that was, that was an interesting first insight into the business side of of art and that's and sort of and around that time as well i was starting to look into other galleries and things but then i went off to learn traditional and contemporary maori arts uh with uh the hetet whanau out in Waifatu. um so i was doing weaving Um, we got to do clay and we got to i mean we got to use all sorts of mediums it was it was i was there for a couple of years it was incredible and amazing and they're just such an awesome family and such an inspiration S- like now still, you know, I follow Vera Noor on Facebook and seeing her processes and she's still constantly producing incredible, incredible work so that was, um, that was a huge moment for me, that, or that, those two years and in the second year I was sort of learning more about the business side of art as well Again, actually focusing on learning business studies with regards to my art. Um, So then I was really starting to exhibit in different galleries and finding places and organising exhibitions and stuff like that. So it it really took off over that period. Um, And that was just before I came to the Learning Connection. Mm. So we're talking
0: about late 90s?
1: So yeah, yep, Mm. we're up to the late 90s now. (laughs)
0: And... And tell us about TLC, did it find you or did you find it and tell us about the sort of that So moment. it's
1: interesting actually, the learning connection kind of found me in that people had started talking about it so it was still very new and of course I was very jaded as far as sort of art in school <coughs> and the thought of sort of being in an institution. It was different le- sort of Fano learning within the, a community sort of thing and. Um, the thought of sort of a big art school again was, was pretty awful to me at the time. And people started talking about the Learning Connection and how it was different. Uh, and it was sort of creativity based and that how it was, um, you know, it wasn't such formal learning. And people were suggesting, at that stage I had a couple of friends come and suggest to me that I come and teach weaving at the Learning Connection. They're like, oh, you know, it'd be great if there was a traditional... Maori weaving class, and so funnily enough when I first came in to the Learning Connection it was to talk to uh, Jonathan about the potential for doing that, for running a weaving class, and after about an hour in um, in his office I had, I had signed a piece of paper saying I was going to be studying here, um, so I had the tables turned on me a bit, um, but that was really interesting. <coughs> And, that was, um, and it was an interesting year as well. So I just came through and did an honours diploma over a period of a year. And that was in Island Bay, obviously, because that was, that was 1999. What was the year like? Sorry? What was
0: the year like in terms of f- for your art and creativity?
1: It was, it was an interesting time because I, was already, I already had um, exhibitions booked. So I was sort of coming in and creating work for those exhibitions and kind of just sort of using the TLC space. But I think the best part about TLC, which I will remember forever, is actually being amongst a whole lot of other creative people. And I think that's the one big thing that you do tend to miss once you've got your own studio and you're producing for exhibitions and you don't get to socialise very much, as you actually miss being around. And it it is not even about looking at other people's art and, you know, constantly... It's just being a part of that creative process and just being within that world of lots of different creative people creating stuff from, you know, from big stone sculptures to tiny beautiful pieces of jewellery to, you know, life drawing and and everything in between. So that was a big part of it for me. And then, of course, I think, you know, Rabia was a big inspiration to me. Again, I still, I still had a little, bit of, a little bit of an issue with sort of tutors teaching and things like that. And I wasn't the best student, I'll confess. Um, and poor Robert would have to come all the way up the stairs to my studio to actually find me and find out what I was working on at any given time instead of my actually making the most of going to classes. I think that's, that's the thing that it was a shame is that I didn't make the most of the opportunity to go to all my classes and to learn all the skills that were up for offer. Instead, I sort of used it more as a big studio space with a lot of other great people that I enjoyed being around and producing work for my exhibitions, which were outside of the school. But it was great. But it was the
0: idea great. of sustainable creativity was obviously a direction you're moving in, yeah. but it's nice that you had that time to be part of the campus, exactly. meet people that you're probably still friends with today. And uh, also, you know, Tudor's influence. Yeah. And, and it still works like that too, Sandy. There's people who are in classes on site, and there's yeah. others who go and find a space, yeah. and the shooters go and visit them. Yeah, so right. it's just depending on where you're at with your yeah. art and creativity. and
1: your process. And that's, I think that was the big thing which sort of makes TLC so great, is the fact that it does work with your process. It doesn't force you into a box of this is what you have to do. And I think that was really important for me.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Well said. And the painting behind something that was done during your time here
1: it was this was my end of year exhibition piece Hmm. um so and that was yeah so that was sort of acrylic it was i was working with a lot of acrylics and mixed media pastels and things inks um but yeah it was a lot more abstract back then but still telling a story still um obviously now i sort of know my story sort of tightened and almost lengthened all at the same time uh but back in 1999, it was certainly sort of big, bold. It's still sort of quite neutral colours here, but it does, it did go into a bit more, uh, a few more brighter, more colourful works. But I think intuitively I prefer um, a more neutral colour palette. Mm. Yeah. End
0: of 99, you moved on.
1: End of 99, I did move on. And again, I was still exhibiting furiously and then i um and then i went to the uk Mm -hmm. and um, then i started exhibiting um, over in london and uh, i was also running an art gallery as a manager of the rebecca hossack gallery in london um really it was quite a big gallery and beautiful beautiful gallery she also had another one around the corner I um, the Charlotte Street Gallery. Um, but so I was over there and my works had to get smaller because instead of having a big studio, I was in London in small sort of small rooms, small apartments, smaller spaces. So my work had to get sort of shrunk right down. Um, and I sort of started working with whatever I had on me at the time. So here it gets a bit smaller again, so it's like A4 paper, and just inks and little watercolours. But you can sort of see the progress, and the direction that I was going in that can, you can see where I ended out. Um, where I sort of, I created a calligraphy, I knew I wanted some sort of information, even though you, the calligraphy you couldn't read. The calligraphy was designed on these shapes here, the Wharenui, um, which is the meeting house. Which, still relates to which relates to, it goes all the way, for five years I painted the Wharenui. In every way shape and form I boy did I do the whare nui. Um because it was about I think it was about you know your connection to the earth it's about your link to who you are and what you are and where you've come from and where you're going it's a really strong sense of of me I am um, and my journey is um, and so, yeah, that, that got broken down into this calligraphy. So, um, but yeah, I think from here, if you, if you look to the, to the next step of, of the paintings, you can see where I've still got paper. It's still, you know, all my notes are now typed up. Instead of creating a calligraphy, I do the research, I type up the notes and I stick them down to the canvas and then I've got um, an archival tissue over top. So I've still got that papery feel, um, sort of old documents, which I guess partially must have been inspired by the Treaty of Waitangi, how it's sort of eroded, it's broken down. Um, These works that I started creating once I got back to New Zealand, however, were predominantly based on my museum visits. Mm.
0: So this one here is 2002, so between 2002 and 2006, what was going on in those years?
1: Yeah, so that's, I'm just trying to think what year it was that I came back. So yeah, that was that was all over in London, so I was exhibiting, I exhibited in Spain as well. Um, exhibiting less while I was over there, working more and doing a lot of travel is what I was doing. I was travelling the world. I travelled all through the Americas from... Canada all the way down to Punta Arenas, the bottom of um, South America. I, I even made it out to Easter Island of all places. Um, and obviously through Europe while I was over there. I did a lot of travel through Europe, a lot of travel through Asia. And the one staple in all my travels was museums. I love museums. I love them. I love the stories, but I love that there's an, just an object. With a story, and I wanted to touch these objects. You know, they'd have whether it was sort of ancient jewellery or or fabrics, textiles, or carved walls. You know, I went to the Acropolis in Greece. You know, and 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 how you can touch these things. You can actually go to these places and touch ancient ancient stones like the Olmec stones. The Olmeco or Olmec. They, um, You know, this was in Mexico, so before the Aztecs even, there were the Olmecs or Olmecas, can't think of it. But, um, and you can touch these stones and that just blows my mind. And so, spending all this time looking at all these ancient artefacts, I wanted to create artefacts for New Zealand that you can touch because our artefacts are few and far between and they're all behind glass. Um, which is great that we've still got access to them, but it's not enough for me, you know. I, want, I wanted to create what I called contemporary artefacts, so it was based on our stories, it's all research-based, it's all New Zealand history-based, and still, it still has that feeling of an artefact, it has that antique, ancient sort of feeling to it, even though it's modern and new, and you can touch it, you can have it, you can, you know, you can own it. Um, and that was, that was really the goal, is to create some contemporary artefacts for New Zealanders, by a New Zealander, for New Zealanders, that people can actually have and hold and own.
0: And If I rem- remember rightly, you, they were on a slightly smaller scale to start with. It was almost like testers. Just
1: yes, that's exactly what I did. It's interesting you say that. Yeah, I did. I, and also I think because I'd, first, cause I'd just come back from the UK, so I was used to painting on a much smaller scale. So they were all 30 centimetres by 60 centimetres is how they started, and then we had our first, it was our five-plus exhibition um, in a cafe in town, and it was just a test the market. I wasn't sure how people were going to respond to it. I know, certainly in the UK, people often, I noticed while I was going around exhibitions and stuff, that they prefer big, bold, bright colours, and I think (laughs) because it's quite a dark, grim, concrete kind of place, that in the, in the big city, they need all that vibrancy um, to create some kind of balance, I guess. Mm. Um, so when I, you know, when I came back to New Zealand, I was like, well, I wonder how this will go because you know it's all browns, it's dirty, it's earthy, it's old and tattered looking. I'm not sure how people will receive it. Um, so yeah, worked on a few smaller pieces before I started um, upsizing. I was, yeah, I couldn't believe how well it was received. Mm.
0: And then 2007 it was a really prolific year, because like, you have got your 2006 works leading up to that point. But I remember going through the slideshow before, and there's a whole lot of them at 2007. So, yeah. For you as an artist, do you find you can express when you get onto a bit of a momentum, and you get that flow happening? Do you find things just just oh, happen at quite a fast rate?
1: It's incredible. I think. Yeah, I miss that sort of momentum, to be honest. I mean, it's hard work. In 2007, I was creating a huge amount of work. So I'd have like three solo shows a year. And these older paintings used to take me about 70 hours to create. So I was working anywhere up to 16 hours a day, potentially seven days a week for long periods of time. Just producing mass. Well, no, I wouldn't even say masses of work because you can only produce so much when they take that long. But enough work to be able to be continually exhibiting, and of course making a living out of. So I wasn't relying on any other funding or any other jobs or anything. It was just um, you know able to pay all my bills, um, support my business practice, and keep growing and moving. But the the flow, as you say, you know each last body of research in each last painting is just a sketch for the next painting and it was so much easier to just keep moving, just keep moving, you know, um, but yeah, that was, that was a huge year for me, 2007, it was an amazing year, mm. um, but it was also a very exhausting year, but then I'd take off two months over summer and, you know, go travelling around New Zealand and have an awesome time, so... It worked and, out.
0: And probably really important as an artist to be able to breathe in and breathe out, you know, you're re- releasing expression but to be able to refuel yourself and, you know, go overseas or take a trip yeah. around uh, to, to Aotearoa and just see what's oh, around you.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think having a break is, is essential and I, th- I think especially when you are creating a big body of work um, I think that time um, to just stop, just stop thinking, just stop you know, start admiring nature or uh, relationships or uh, things and people around you. Um, and just forget about your art practice. <coughs> As you say, it's, it's a great way to just recharge and to be able to stoke the fires. I think the one thing that I found, certainly while I was away, when I'd go for long periods of time without painting, because you don't, I mean, I've, I've always known and I'm an artist ever since I was little, I created art. It's always been a driving force behind who and what I am. But I'm also happy not to do art because, you know, it can be very exhausting. It um, does take its toll after a period of time too. So I'm more than happy to do absolutely no art whatsoever <laughs> for periods of time. And I love that time. I so appreciate that time. But what it also does is refuels the passion you know it gives me time to just forget about oh blah 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 but then when i get back in the studio after that time oh i'm just chomping at the bit just absolutely you know so excited to be having the pens and the brushes and the paper and everything back in my hands again
0: do you have any art forms which are more of a release for you do you do any jewelry or do you do any life drawing or is there anything else that you do that no one knows about
1: <laughs> and you, no
0: one even sees but you do no
1: one even sees do you know what no i don't i i often think about it i think weaving yeah. if there was something it would be weaving but unfortunately i don't get to do enough of it um at all whatsoever like i've sort of i've always tried every summer because obviously it's the best time to be harvesting hara anyway but I sort of always tried every summer to do some weaving. Um, this past summer I haven't had an opportunity to because I've just been too busy. Um, but that would, be, that would be the other passion and that's, that's the beautiful thing that you do where you just, you know, you have a day and it's all just lovely and gorgeous and relaxing and makes you feel better about the whole wide world. <laughs> yeah.
0: Do you have any other muses? Uh, music or...? what keeps your whole creativity going food Mm. music uh, people
1: i think um it's the knowledge it's the learning it's the discovering um that motivates me um i love and i'm inspired by um learning and seeing new things i like you know i love commissions like i used to hate commissions and uh, there's still a bit of fear, I think, in commissions because, you know, people order something and they get an idea in their heads of what they're going to get. And whatever you created will never be whatever they've thought of because, you know, you are two entirely different people with entirely different experiences of colour and thought and everything. And I think that that's always sort of spooked me out a little bit is that moment where I hand it over and I'm like, I know this isn't what you imagined. I know this. Um, but... Now at least I, I enjoy doing commissions because I love people coming to me going, I want you to create an artwork based on my, um, you know, my family history or this thing that I'm passionate about, um, and I'm like, wow, that's re- that's so exciting. So I now get to go and research all that stuff. You know, I get as much as I can from them. Like, you know, maybe where are you from? What area? What district? Um, what are you passionate about? You know, is there music, or what? You know, what are you passionate about? And then I get to research all of that, and I think certainly it's that research and learning and knowledge process that inspires me the most and excites me the most. The other thing, oh, the other thing I love is fonts. <laughs> I get really excited about fonts, like it's so funny. I remember finding this website once, and. Um, Oh, my God, I was almost shaking with excitement. There was these beautiful fonts that I'd never seen before and they'd been presented in such a beautiful way. Um, so that, that certainly inspires me. And I think graphic design, even though I personally don't have a graphic design background, um, I'm, I love and am very inspired by beautiful graphic mm. design. Mm. Yeah.
0: Because I take great pleasure in admiring some of the calligraphy that you do within your work. Thanks. think it's it's quite special, and you've got a very steady hand.
1: (sighs) That's right. You can see, yeah, you can see how much I love fonts. (laughs) They're everywhere. They're all over it, and using lots of different fonts and the different fonts from different periods. You know, because the font itself tells a story, and I love that.
0: How much time is spent with the research or the business of art? compared to the painting
1: so the business of art um, is a big portion of what I do so that's my marketing that's my promotion that's um, that's my writing proposals or you know I spend a lot of time doing emails to and fro from event organizers or galleries or anything mm-hmm. like that um, updating my sort of materials of my exhibition list and my updated images, things like even, you know, the photography of the artworks, um, graphic design of posters, like that, all of that side of the business would easily, I think, take up probably 60% of my time, which would only leave me about 40% for the actual creation of work. Sometimes, sometimes even more, sometimes even more depending on what's going on. So it's a big part, and that's why I'm passionate as well about teaching it, um, because obviously, because I've also I, also, I did a couple of business courses throughout all these years, and I got a business grant for, for art. And I remember at the time doing a business course with all these other businessy people, starting up businesses, and I was told over and over, oh, you know, artists, artists don't really get the grant. You know, this is for real business sort of real businesses that are looking to grow and expand and, you know, stuff like that. And boy, oh boy, what are you telling me that, that artists can't get this grant? Well, let me show you. <laughs> so I put together the best business plan I possibly could. I researched and researched and worked and worked on this. All that time gathering, you know, such a solid foundation of knowledge of business. Um, and then I got that grant, you know, and it was huge. Like I remember, you know, they, they gave you a few thousand for setting up business costs and then they sort of paid you instalments to live off while you're getting up and running. And they gave it to me like this, you know. She saw my product, she, you know, flicked through the proposal and she was like, yep, it's done, it's yours, you know. And, um, and I think from there I was just like, artists can so benefit from these things and it's and it's also but it's turning it around. I think the important thing is getting people to understand, firstly, as an artist, how much of a step up they've got as far as business goes, because we're already creative. You know, we've got, you know, every business needs a creative person, a creative thinker in it. We we are the creative person. We are the creative thinker. So we can break all the rules, we can break all the boundaries and we can make big steps forward and I think um, when it comes to learning you know I just wish I wish personally that at the beginning of my career somebody could have sat me down and just laid it all out for me you know got like here here it all is here's all the information here's the the thinking patterns here's the you know the the goal setting the action plans the everything that you need to be able to charge on forward. but I guess, I mean, the way I learnt, I guess, you know, there's, there's good things about that too because I've learnt everything the hard way, <laughs> but I've learnt it thoroughly and I've learnt it well and it's, um, you know, it's, it's done me, it's done me really well. But now I just want to share everything I've learnt from working in galleries, from organising exhibitions and from being an artist, trying to get into galleries from the, you know, from the entire spectrum what i'm really passionate about now is actually sharing all, all that information with as many people as i possibly can because even you know just just giving them that little bit of help at the beginning of their career um it would have you know it would have been so amazing if i could have it so if i can give it then you know it just makes it all worthwhile
0: and some of the things you say that echo what jonathan milne does say to people about sustainable creativity and having having creative people amongst um, business and um, mm. having those people that can, I suppose you've got those challenges of having a blank piece of paper or a block of stone and transforming that. And I think we can take for granted everything we're doing that is problem solving, which can then transfer into other things like Absolutely. business and economics and science and Absolutely. everything else. Absolutely,
1: into everything, even into maths, you know, you talk to mathematicians and you know the biggest thing is you know creativity, being able to push the boundaries and creatively think outside of the problem. Creativity is everything.
0: <laughs> Excellent, very well said. Um, got time to look a bit more at some of the detail of some of your painting, if you like, and talk to us either about some of the stories or your techniques, or
1: yeah. if anyone's
0: seeing something that they like or connect with, feel free to ask Sandy.
1: Yeah. So I mean, obviously, my my research process is a bit random, it's just whatever takes my fancy at any given time. Um, Currently the work I'm working on now is actually um, about contemporary goddesses. Do you want to flick through? So, um, yeah, those two pieces, for the last two pieces I've done, with with that in mind. And again, you know, there's a lot of research based In each little aspect of the paintings... Um, has a story to tell in itself. So Hine Nui Pau, she's the great lady of the night. I chose an image of Kitty Takanawa when she was sixteen. Um, and I used her because when I was going through my mind, the great lady of the night, the great lady of the night, who's who's the great lady of the night? And I was sort of lots of different things came to me and I put it out on social media, like, you know, trying to get in ideas of what te poor means to people and things like this and I was like "Well, you know she's a pretty great lady you know if you're talking about great ladies and she's a performer and obviously you know those things often happen in the evenings and so I did it it was sort of an opera based theatrical style you can see the couple of faces on there representing theatre um, the big pillar on the right hand side um, because I started looking at opera houses around the world and um, they've always got pillars outside of them it seems well the majority of them have big pillars outside Uh, then you've got um, the flowers for example on here Um, you've got the ngai flower up in the top and um, if anybody knows the myth about Rona and the um, moon and she got pulled up into the moon and she grabbed onto a ngai tree and, and uprooted it and took that with her so again that's sort of the story about the night and the moon and things um, as you see at the bottom, it's got an opera of 12 acts. So there's 12 stages of night in Māori mythology. So it's just referring to that. Te Poroa, the long night, is one of those stages. Um, you've got, what else have we got in there? Kape I love I love the idea of combining sort of Latin and ancient history. Um, our ancient European history with Maori mythology, because really we are all just a mashup of those things, and so it's bringing those things together in the paintings. So Carpe Noctum is um, seize the night. Obviously, most of us know Carpe Diem, but in this case, it's about seizing the night. Then she's got that flower as well um, in her hair, which is the um, it's one of the nightshade families. Deadly nightshade. Um, so yeah, it's about it's about bringing these different things in, and also the um, obviously you've got the more pork that goes without saying as far as a night creature goes. Um, and the core Fire design um, is um, based on Rautaua, the tower and most core Fire designs are based around a plant. It's a plant based. Often, um, some tell stories about moving through the water or so on and so forth. But with the style of the work that I'm working towards, it's based on the Art Nouveau period. Um, and so it was, there was a lot of flowers, you know, there was, there was a lot of flora and fauna. And so obviously a traditional way that we do our flora is through Kowwhaiwhai. Muka, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly who these, these works are based on, yeah, on his, his style of work, because I love it so much. Um, so endless source of inspiration, his work. Like, yeah, I've got a couple of books of his and I just want more. <laughs> I just want to look at them all the time.
0: Sandy, this particular piece, what media are we looking at?
1: So all of the works are mixed media. So the things that are actually on there, So it's on a canvas, it's on a stretched canvas. Then on there, as I said earlier, you've got my research notes all glued down. Then on top of that, you've got an archival tissue attached with a gel medium. And then on top of that, I start um, penciling and um, putting the structure on. The important thing about these, because you can see all the way back through to the information behind, is you sort of you have to, it's like playing a game of chess, you need to think all the way to the end. Because if you put a, r- a line somewhere at the very beginning, that'll show through at the end. Mm. So there's no painting over. There's so no changing your mind.
0: Sandy, through here, are we seeing the background?
1: Yeah, you can just make it out through mm. there. Down the bottom, you can even see a couple of like dark squares where you've got images of my old paintings <coughs> on there. So it makes it look like a newspaper. It looks like some sort of old um, newspaper. And so then, yeah. So then I put, I'm putting all the lines on extremely carefully. Um, And then I have, so all the, it looks sort of black on the screen, but it's actually a dark, dark brown with a a yellow ink base. And it's a colour that I make up with watercolours and ink. Um, And I use watercolours in a way most watercolour artists would be so upset about. Um, Because I lay it on really thick, almost like an acrylic in some parts, but then I also wipe it away. Um, so it's a mixture of combinations and, and ways in which I use the mediums. Um, but then there's a lot of pencil as well, so you can see her face is actually mostly pencil. Um, only the dark, only the black parts are um, done with the watercolour ink combination. Yeah, all the toning is all pencil. So that, and that's that pencil work takes you back to my childhood. That's what I wanted to be doing and that's, no matter what Art School, you know, School Throughout Art said and did, I was always going to be coming back to doing this. School obviously did teach me the use of different mediums though, you know, and layering, lettering, you know, a whole bunch of other things that I do incorporate into my work. Um, But all the gold, all the gold work is acrylic because obviously you don't get really a gold watercolour. Um, but that makes it reflect light and actually shine. Um, and then there's the shellac. I don't know where I'd be without shellac. Um, shellac is the most important component. So when I'm painting these and I get to, I get to a stage where I'm like, I just want to finish it so I can get the shellac on mm-hmm. because it's white, you know, there's so much white. Um, and it's funny, Dan Mill's our friend fellow artist, he um, I remember he used to come into my studio now and then he's like, oh, I love it how it's white. I love seeing it at this stage. I'm like, no, no, you need to put the shellac. And the shellac there's a great example because that really tones it all back. It ages it um, and gives it a certain texture. But then once the first layer of shellac goes on, then there's another layer of watercolour. Um, so then there's a bit more shading that goes into it and dirtying it up, roughing it up, and then you get the last layer of shellac, and every um, painting has a wax seal, you can just make it out down that bottom corner there, um, with an S, a little S, I got the seal from Harrods when I was in London, just thinking it was the most beautiful thing ever, and um, you can just find it again on the corner there, so that's... And that's sort of like my signature. I sign it often right next to the seal. Or if design-wise it doesn't work there, I'll sign it somewhere else. Um, yeah.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> Very inspiring. And coming times, Sandy?
1: Coming times? What's what's happening next? Things. It's interesting, actually. I um, Yeah, because right now everything is about the solo show. So the solo show is happening in... August opens on the fifth of August at uh, Expressions Gallery. Have you got your train to here yes, yes, I do. Well spotted, tram spotting. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's and that shows that shows such a great show. So that's actually um, showcasing all the artists who are having solo shows for the rest of the year, which is a great idea.
0: There's a good brochure down in program support right now that shows oh, the, the awesome. artists that are coming up
1: awesome great so yeah so that's that's my big focus I think after having this solo show again there won't be a solo show for another couple of years or so um, because it is such hard work but then I'll be focusing on just um, creating one or two pieces of work now and then that can get sent out to the galleries so I'm represented in um, Auckland, Taupo, Wellington and Dunedin um, and of course those galleries always want, would would like to receive nice new works of art, but then of course now and then like it was um, expressions out in um, Upper Hearts that got in touch with me the other day and were asking if I'd put a couple of works on display for the Matariki Festival, mm-hmm. um, which I'm desperately trying to um, wrangle for them, um, so it's, I think the important thing for me is certainly over the next couple of years is just to be able to have the time and the energy to be able to put a piece here a piece there to be able to be a part of joint exhibitions and opportunities when they do arise. Yeah, and also working on the business of art and really pushing pushing that and trying to get the word out there and trying to help as many as many artists as I possibly can.
0: That's well said. Because so you're when you hear Sandy doing that course.
1: Uh, so I start at the beginning of next term. So we're just starting it off as a weekend course. Um, it's pretty action packed. I think it'll probably be different to um, a lot of things that people do within the Learning Connection. You know, it's pretty quick fire. A lot of um, pretty intense thinking and very intense um, thought processes, time limits, time constraints to you know, create and organise marketing strategies, things like this, but it pushes you beyond what you'd imagine. Um, so it's gonna, be, it's gonna be pretty exciting, I think with the intention to potentially run it over a longer period of time here as well, um, which I think is really beneficial because it gives you time to go away, think about what you've learned um you know work on what what you've done in the previous session and come back mm. and work through it over a longer evolve period it. of time evolve it mm. evolve your business practice yeah
0: mm. fantastic awesome so stay tuned indeed hey thanks so much for coming in today it's thanks been awesome me. and um you'll probably be around for another five minutes if people want yeah. any questions to ask Absolutely. after fantastic This podcast was brought to you by The Learning Connection, School of Creativity and Art. TLC.ac.nz